Welcome back to the Youth Bible in One Year, day 247. I myself sometimes fall into the trap of thinking that I can't be useful to God. Because surely God is infinitely big and he's infinitely strong. He's got all the power. He created everything. So why would he need me to do anything? Well, we can be useful to God. And we see that in our Bible passages for today. We can see that God always seems to raise up people who can do noble things. So how can we be useful to God today? Pippa and I had just returned home from the hospital. Earlier that day, my mother had died of a heart attack while at her desk at work. She was 69. I was in a state of shock and turmoil within. I wandered out of our home for a breath of fresh air and was thinking that the one person I really wanted to see was Sandy Miller, our pastor and friend. At that moment, I looked up and recognised his car approaching. He had just heard our news and had driven straight round to see us. God used Sandy's arrival that day to bring us great comfort and encouragement. In today's New Testament passage, we read that Titus's arrival was used by God to bring Paul great comfort and encouragement when Paul was in a state of turmoil, exhaustion, oppression, affliction, dread and fear. But God, who comforts and encourages and refreshes and cheers the depressed and the sinking, comforted and encouraged and refreshed and cheered us by the arrival of Titus. Titus's arrival brought even further encouragement because he carried news of how the Corinthians were being useful to God. As a result, Paul rejoiced still more. However bleak things may appear, God always seems to raise up people who are instruments for noble purposes, useful to the master and prepared to do any good work. How can you and I be useful to God? From Psalm 105 Then Israel entered Egypt. Jacob resided as a foreigner in the land of Ham. The Lord made his people very fruitful. He made them too numerous for their foes whose hearts he had turned to hate his people, to conspire against his servants. He sent Moses his servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen. They performed his signs among them. Be prepared to take the lead. Do you sometimes feel that you're in a spiritual wasteland in your workplace, your city, or even in your entire nation? The psalmist recalls one of the bleakest periods for the people of God, God had blessed them. They had become very fruitful, but their success caused them to be hated. Their foes conspired against them. They abused and cheated God's servants. People of God were oppressed and enslaved. They were in a spiritual wasteland. But God sent Moses his servant and Aaron, whom he had chosen. God chose Moses and Aaron. They responded, admittedly very reluctantly in the case of Moses, to the call to lead. They performed miraculous signs and wonders and set God's people free. They worked marvels in that spiritual wasteland. Lord, as I look at our nation and see the state of the church, I cry out to you to raise up people like Moses and Aaron to lead your people out of the spiritual wasteland. New Testament from 2 Corinthians 7 
Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. Turn to God in times of trouble. Sometimes in life we hit a wall of pain and distress. It overwhelms us. It could be caused by bereavement, redundancy, sickness, disappointment, or other circumstances beyond our control. It could even, as in the case of the Corinthians, be caused by our own sin or mistakes. What matters is how you respond. For some, times such as these drive them away from God. For others, like the Corinthians, it's the making of them. Their distress drove them to God. It transformed them into a people whom God was able to use powerfully. Paul was someone whom God used greatly, but it was not a smooth ride. It was not a stress-free life. Paul did not go around bringing trouble on his own head. He writes, We've never hurt a soul, never exploited or taken advantage of anyone. Nevertheless, he continues to speak of all our troubles. He writes about fights in the church and fears in our hearts. Paul loved the Corinthians. Although Paul's love for them was not always reciprocated, it brought him enormous joy when it was. When he heard from Titus about their longing for him and their deep sorrow and ardent concern for him, he said, My joy was greater than ever. Paul had the courage to confront them in a letter. Initially, it caused them hurt, as this kind of confrontation often does. At first, Paul regretted writing the letter, but thankfully the Corinthians had the right response. They allowed it to draw them closer to God. We all mess up at times. Godly King David sinned greatly. Even the great Apostle Peter messed up. However, what matters is how you respond. You let the distress bring you to God, not drive you from him. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away from God end up on a deathbed of regrets. The wrong kind of sorrow, typified by Saul in the Old Testament and Judas Iscariot, did not lead to repentance, but rather to death. Worldly sorrow brings death. The Corinthians, like King David and the Apostle Peter, responded in the right way. And now, isn't it wonderful all the ways in which this distress has 
goaded you closer to God. You're more alive, more concerned, more sensitive, more reverent, more human, more passionate, more responsible. Titus witnessed the transformation in their lives as a result of their response to distress. He was exuberant about it. He was himself revived and refreshed by everything the Corinthians did for him. He could not stop talking to Paul about them, going over again and again the story of your prompt obedience and the dignity and sensitivity of your hospitality. He was quite overwhelmed by it all. And I couldn't be more pleased. I'm so confident and proud of you. Thank you, Lord, that when I turn to you in times of trouble, you transform me and make me more alive, concerned, sensitive, reverent, human, passionate, responsible, and more useful to you. Old Testament from Isaiah 5 to 8. The Lord Almighty has declared in my hearing, Surely the great houses will become desolate, the fine mansions left without occupants. Woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, who stay up late at night till they are inflamed with wine. In that year, King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. Respond to God's call and say, I'll go. As we look around the world today, we see many nations in desperate times. The description in this passage is of a nation rife with injustice. The leaders grab all the land, evicting the old owners taking over the country, leaving everyone homeless and landless. These extravagant estates will be deserted. A 10-acre vineyard will produce a pint of wine. Meanwhile, the leaders make sure their banquets are well furnished with music and plenty of wine, while the common people die of thirst. Their leaders call evil good, and good evil. But what authority does Isaiah have to speak to the society in this way? During a dark period in Israel's history, God called him. He describes the vision he had around 740 BC in the year that King Isaiah died. First, he encountered God. Isaiah describes an overwhelming sense of the presence of God, his majesty, holiness, glory, and power. The key words are, I saw the Lord. The key to his call was not just a nice experience, it was a life-changing encounter. Second, he was cleansed. Isaiah saw the holiness of God and said, Woe to me, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The closer you are to the light, the more it reveals your sin. But then God takes the initiative and provides a means of cleansing. Look, the coal has touched your lips. 
gone your guilt, your sins wiped out. It is through the cross of Christ that your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You do not need to go around loaded by guilt, but rather you can be filled with a sense of God's love for you. Third, he said to God, I'll go. Isaiah responded to God's call. God asked him the question, I've done all this for you, now will you go for me? Your whole life is before you. What are you going to do with it? He said, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Isaiah responded, here am I, send me. He saw there was a desperate need. He made no excuses. He did not delay. He said to God, I'll go. God used him greatly. This was nothing compared to the one whom Isaiah prophesied about. He said, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. This had a historical fulfillment in the birth of Mahel Shalal Hashbaz. However, the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy was in Jesus Christ, who is Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, thank you that you say to me, your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. I want to respond today by saying to you, here am I, send me. Pepper adds, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2, it says, make room for us in your hearts. One of the things we learned going through a pandemic is how much we long to be together face to face with our family, friends and church community. Life is still very uncertain, but prioritising people at this time is of most importance. Let's pray together now. Lord, thank you that I can be useful to you. Thank you that you enable me to do good things in this world. Lord, I'm sorry for where I haven't been useful and I have turned away from what you asked me to do. I ask now that you would forgive me and I turn back to you asking for your Holy Spirit. Fill me now and enable me to be useful for your kingdom. Help me to do amazing things for your name, glorifying you across the world. In Jesus' name, amen.